1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in.
2: It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks kicking off the new trading month on a very strong note as investors look to bounce back from last week's short-squeezed-fueled selling. Some of the assets at the center of that frenzy continuing to lose steam as shares of GameStop and silver prices start to pull back. The online broker caught in the middle of all of it. Robinhood reportedly taking new steps to help shore up its financial responsibilities. Big technology back in focus here as we await quarterly results from two more sector giants, Amazon and Alphabet. And millions across the Northeast, myself included, digging out this morning following that massive winter storm that hammered the region. It is Tuesday, February 2nd, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. of the morning to you. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today. And here is how your money and the global markets are setting their day up. Stock futures pointing to more gains. You can see here the Dow implied higher by 250 points, the S&P by about 32, and the Nasdaq higher by 125, adding to massive gains we saw yesterday in that Nasdaq index. Now, all of this After stocks kicked off a new trading week and month on a very strong note, shaking off some of the concerns surrounding speculative retail oriented trading. The Dow climbing more than 200 points while the S&P and Nasdaq were up more than one and a half and two and a half percent, respectively. Big moves for the Nasdaq big tech very much in focus. Speaking of, today's investors will be watching several key reports from the likes of Amazon, yes, and Alphabet, the parent company of Google, Chipotle, UPS, Pfizer, that's just to name a few. Also, want to take a look at shares right now of GameStop. Currently, you can see in the pre-market session, $171 per share. That's roughly a quarter of its value shaved off in the extended hour session. Remember, these things hit massive highs in volatile trading over the course of the last couple of weeks here, but now... Drifting lower steadily over the course of the last couple of days. We'll see if that trend continues for these heavily shorted stocks. Remember, the stock lost a nearly third of its value yesterday and a sign that traders may be starting to cover some of those losing bets that they have on the stock. Also, want to take a look at the price of silver amid its price surge yesterday. We did push just around $30 an ounce for COMEX silver yesterday, now $27.79. That's off about 5.5%. But you can see there that big spike yesterday coming off just a little bit in the early part of today's trading. Now remember, the precious metal hit an eight-year high in trading just yesterday. Let's now go worldwide. Wall Street's rebound, carrying over to Asia. As you can see there, markets across the region finishing higher with the Hang Seng in Hong Kong and the Kospi in South Korea jumping more than 1% apiece Take a look at those trades. there, predominantly green and an early look at the trade in Europe right now, where it is very much green, except for Portugal. As you can see, that little sliver of red there, the German DAX up one and a third percent and the CAC in France up nearly two percent. So a very, very bullish side move in the European trade and Asia as well, following what happened in the U.S. yesterday. Now to this morning's top stories. Robinhood is apparently holding talks with banks about raising more debt in an effort to continue fulfilling orders for heavily shorted stocks. According to the reports, the online broker is looking to raise $1 billion. That would be separate from the $3.4 billion that Robinhood revealed it had secured from investors amid last week's Reddit-fueled buying spree in heavily shorted stocks. Speaking of those stocks, the Securities and Exchange Commission could consider a wide range of new regulations to help prevent similar volatility and short squeezes. According to Bank of America Merrill Lynch analyst Michael Carrier, the agency could roll out a wave of rules ranging from a cap on the level of short interest on a specific security to aggressive taxes on short-term trading. A representative for the SEC declined to comment to CNBC on the matter. Still, the regulator is taking note here of what's happened over the last couple of weeks. And SpaceX has announced it plans to send its first civilian crew into orbit around the Earth later this year. The company says four private citizens, yes, private, will be sent in a Crew Dragon capsule as part of a mission to raise support for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. The craft will be commanded by Shift for Payment CEO and founder Jared Isaacman, with the three other seats to be decided later. Speaking with NBC News, Elon Musk rejected claims the move is simply a joyride for the wealthy.
3: Well, I think it's it's a, it's much more substantive. Um, I think first of all, uh, I think people uh, will really enjoy, uh, you know, seeing things vicariously from the video that is, you know, and the, and the watching the mission. It's like when 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 um, you know when America went to the moon in '69. It wasn't just a few people. Uh, Humanity went to the moon. We all went there with them.
2: All right. And just over an hour ago, Musk fired off a tweet simply stating off Twitter for a while. It's unclear the context behind that message, but we'll see if he tweets again sometime soon. Back to the markets now, which your next guest says are not functioning normally, given the wild swings that we've seen as of late and that we may be seeing a late stage bubble. There's that bad word again. For more now i'm joined by Dory Wiley CEO at Commerce Street capital Dory it's always great to get your thoughts here let's talk about whether or not you are worried as an investor about what you've seen over the last couple of weeks in these heavily shorted type stocks
4: Sure good to be here this morning you know when you get a late part of a uh, bull market or or a bubble uh, things get more and more irrational. So what you've seen in GameStop and AMC, what you see in Bitcoin, what you see in all these SPACs, uh, all of these things are not fundamentally based and very difficult. In addition to the behavior of the markets itself, you're seeing institutional investing follow uh, mob, uh, millennial investing, that's not normal. Uh, you're seeing markets react positive on bad news because it thinks it's going to get more stimulus versus the other way around. Uh, all of these things are not good signs.
2: All right. What, what about the case being made? And I've heard it from a number of investors and traders out there that these are localized phenomenon. This is not symptomatic of a broader market that's in a bubble. These are specific areas of the market that are fairly well contained. So we don't worry about a spillover effect of those types of you know behaviors, I guess, into the broader market overall.
4: Well, how contained are they really? I mean, uh, we, we saw a lot of uh, big hedge funds that were affected by this last week. And, and it spilled over into selling off other stocks and affecting the whole market on Friday in order to uh, – uh, you know, meet margin calls or, or cover losses or whatever they're doing. So I, I disagree with that spillover effect. It, uh, it may not be as big as, uh, say, long-term capital management was, but that's what the fear is, is something like that happens. Right now, the liquidity looks good. Uh, a new stimulus plan comes out, could prop this up. Uh, remember, we had four years between the irrational exuberance speech and the pop of the bubble, so bubbles can last a while, But uh, it sure is is concerning where we are right now.
2: I mean, the the interesting part, Dory, is as as we were just speaking just now, we we flashed up some of the market data that we were seeing pre-market here. It's showing some of these heavily shorted names coming back down to earth. Meanwhile, it's showing the resumption of the uptrend that we've seen in the broader markets, even at the index level, the S&P, the NASDAQ, the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Does that, does that suggest, then, that this was a short-term just blip on the radar and that things are kind of getting back to normal in this kind of a situation?
4: Uh, one one day or, or is not a trend line, I guess you could say, but it's a great sign, and we like to see that. And I would like to see the SEC put in some uh, better rules in the market. You know, these uh, uh, companies don't need to be uh, allowing a lot of shorts on on stocks when they can't access the stock. You know, there needs to be some limits, and... Uh, access to the stock and some general rules that make some common sense.
2: So, Dory, with all of that in mind, with a market that's still hovering near record highs right now, with everything that you're seeing in cryptocurrency and these heavily shorted stocks, is there any part of the market that still looks attractive to you? Where would you commit capital at this stage of the game?
4: Sure, the good news is is it's a stock pickers market, and it was all of last year as well. So, uh, uh, index and passive investing uh, had a little tougher year than the pickers, but go where it's not frothy. You know, Uh, industrials, uh, uh, you can play in uh, uh, financials and banks. Banks still look very, very good. They sold off last year, they rallied as of late. Uh, Banks still look really good, and you can get a lot of good dividends. You know, if you're interested in uh, commodities maybe play something like Freeport mcmoran It has a three point six percent yield and uh, forward P/E is about ten. You know, it's it's a nice it's a nice company. It's a real company. It's got cash flow. It's got a dividend, and you get exposure
2: to copper. All right, Dory Wiley with the latest thoughts there on the market. Thank you very much at Commerce Street Capital. We appreciate it, sir. You bet. Thank you. Now to Washington, D.C. and the latest in those ongoing stimulus talks that Dory just alluded to as Republican lawmakers pitch President Biden on a scaled back package. Tracy Potts joins us now from Washington with the latest. And how scaled back is it, Tracy?
5: A third of what Biden is proposing. uh, And, of course, there's a rush to get this done because extra unemployment and other benefits run out after this month. But the Biden plan, the Republican plan, they're billions of dollars apart. Talk. Here's what's on the table. Two plans to help struggling Americans. The new Republican proposal would cost $618 billion, a third of President Biden's plan, with no money for states, local governments, and much less for schools. It includes smaller stimulus checks, $1,000 targeting low-income families, and less unemployment.
3: It makes no sense to pinch pennies when so many Americans... Struggling.
5: Republicans called their White House meeting productive and promised to keep talking. It was a very good exchange of views. I wouldn't say that we. Came together on a package tonight. No one expected that in a two-hour meeting. Democrats have started an effort to push through Biden's plan without Republican votes.
6: Republicans can still vote for that, and there's certainly precedent of that in the past. Both
5: plans include the same amount for more vaccines.
1: When the vaccine becomes available to you, please Get vaccinated.
5: But many Americans are having trouble getting an appointment. It's like buying a lottery ticket and and you just hope
1: that your number
5: will come up. There's new evidence vaccines are working. Nursing home patients were among the first to get shots. And new cases there are down in the past month. And we just got information at the top of the hour on those new Immigration orders that were delayed from last week, the president hoping to sign them today, assuming his homeland security nominee is confirmed that vote happening today. Those new orders uh, would create a task force to reunify families separated at the border, uh, create some new rules for what they call orderly uh, migration at the border, a new asylum system, and also review some of the policies on legal immigration.
2: All right. The executive orders continue. Thank you very much. Tracy Potts with the latest in Washington, D.C. When we come back on the show, the latest on that massive winter storm that's left parts of the Northeast buried under, in some places, two feet of snow. Plus, Boeing's former CEO looking to get into the SPAC game. Yes, the SPAC game. Details on his plans for a new blank check company coming up. And ExxonMobil announcing a very big investment aimed at sustainability amid activist pressures. We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break.
7: What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
2: Welcome to World Exchange. That's a live shot of New York City right now where we are trying to dig ourselves out of a lot of snow, in some cases up to two feet in certain areas of the Northeast, But New York City looking like it's doing a pretty fine job trying to clean that stuff up. Well, let's take a look at the markets right now because we've seen a growing trend as of late in the last few months. And I'm going to show you here with ETFs. The white line is a growth ETF tracking the Russell 1000. And the orange line is the one that tracks the Russell 1000 value. You can see here the value index over the last few months has outperformed the green. The orange line is on top. Now, especially here, there's a fairly large gap in performance between the value stocks, which outperformed, think energy and financials. And then now, just in the last couple of weeks here to start the year, we've seen that gap narrow again as there becomes a little bit more focus on big technology-type stocks, it has what, it was what worked in 2020. We'll see if it works again this year. The reason why we bring it up is because on a year-to-date basis, look at technology versus financials, growth versus value. In that trade there, we've seen this kind of divergence starting to happen again. The financials outperforming, but now, look, underperforming just over the course of the last couple of weeks. Technology reassuming some leadership there perhaps investors looking towards those big leadership-type stops in technology, especially with earnings coming up for a lot of the big ones this week. And then to finish off, check out what's happening right now with what's silver and GameStop and some of those heavily shorted type issues that a lot of Reddit traders have kind of gotten into. Silver, $27.69 there, the last trade. We've come off a bit there from the highs in the last couple of days. And then GameStop shares, they lost a third of their value yesterday, roughly. And then again, down about 24% in early trading this morning. We were above $400 per share at one point over the last couple of weeks. Currently trading GameStop at $172.20, the last deal in the after-hours session. Well, still on deck for the show, Amazon and Alphabet, like we just said, the latest tech giants to report results. We will preview what to expect and if we could get record figures from those two companies.
5: Today's big number, $89.6 trillion. That was the total dollar value of global debt, including central and state governments in December according to the IMF. Public debt as a share of global GDP jumped to 98%, levels not seen since the aftermath of World War II.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.
2: Welcome back. Now to the latest on that massive winter storm that hammered the northeast as it continues to dump more snow on parts of the region with some areas, as you can see, there, getting upwards of two feet of snow. NBC News meteorologist Janessa Webb joins us now from New York City, and it looks like things are a little bit better today than they were yesterday.
8: Yeah, exactly right, Dominic. This historic storm system dumping over 30 inches of fresh new snow across northern New Jersey. And, you know, unfortunately, it's just not going to stop. It's lingering across New York City. It's definitely on the lighter side, but it will be intermittent throughout the day. Here at Madison Square Park, we have picked up over about 10 inches and Central Park about 16.8 inches is a fresh new snow. Right now we're going to continue to watch uh, the clearing of streets. Things are definitely looking better. Right now we can see the roadways, the black tops. So the plows in New York City, over a thousand of them have been deployed across the area. So doing a wonderful job and we haven't lost power. So winds have started to calm down and things are looking a lot better. I wish I could say this storm system starts to push offshore for today, but Dominic, unfortunately that's just not going to happen. We still have another solid 18 hours of this system that's currently making its way across New York City, northern New England, Boston getting hammered right now, and we could potentially pick up at least another two to three inches in some spots across the city.
2: So so, so Janessa, I'm curious, as we talk about the the strength of this, should we expect the same kind of severity at some points? I, I know that when I was You know, here in the office at home at points yesterday, it felt like it was near blizzard conditions. Are we expecting more of that or just the snowfall that goes along with it?
8: You know, I think we're over the worst in New York City and interior New York could possibly see some of those blizzard-like conditions. We never hit that criteria yesterday, even though we had winds to about 35, 40 miles per hour, but it has to be for a prolonged period of time. I know some areas even dealing with that coastal flooding. I think that's the main issue today as we're actually starting to see rain mixing in at times, so the flooding is going to be starting. Starting to be an issue and also some warmer temperatures. Yes, things are going to start to get better for today, but unfortunately for some sections of the Northeast, it will linger. And then, Dominic, all eyes are on our, on our next storm system that pot- potentially could impact New York and the Northeast by Sunday afternoon.
2: We're not even done talking about this one, and we've already got another one on deck. Janessa, thank you very much. Be safe out there. We appreciate it. Well now let's check on this morning's other top headlines outside of weather and you see Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest there. Have you dug out, Francis?
9: Not yet. I'm just waiting for it to be done before I get out there. My kids will pull me out there, too. All right, Don, let's get to the headlines this morning, starting with the Kremlin on high alert with protesters vowing to rally outside of Moscow court in support of Alexei Navalny. A hearing is underway for the Putin critic to see if he'll face jail time for violating the probation terms of charges from a case in 2014. He faces up to three and a half years in prison. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell is condemning conspiracies supported by a member of his own party. While he didn't mention Georgia Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene by name, the Kentucky senator released the scathing statement after receiving questions about her. He said loony lies and conspiracy theories are cancer for the Republican Party and our country. Greene fired back on Twitter, saying the real cancer for the Republican Party is weak Republicans who only know how to lose gracefully. All right. So the date, February 2nd. So that means Groundhog Day. Today, the eyes of the country. We'll turn to a tiny hamlet in western Pennsylvania to see if we can expect an early spring. This year's festivities are virtual. They'll be live-streamed on Groundhog.org beginning at 6.30 a.m. Eastern. But I think Phil might be upstaged by the snowstorm and that snow show that's still happening out there for a lot of us, too.
2: And Janessa Webb just told us there's another storm coming by this weekend in the Northeast. So Punxsutawney Phil, give us some good news, please. Yeah, Francis? the
9: kids aren't, aren't so happy about that one because, you know, it's going to be a weekend. They want those snow days. I don't know. Even I, though I,
2: they're remote. I think they do want the snow days as well. I think my kids love them, too. Francis Rivera, thank you very much for those headlines okay. there. Still on deck for the show, President Biden and Republican lawmakers coming together to talk about COVID stimulus. Elon Moy standing by with the latest there on the hurdles, keeping both sides from getting a deal done. And as a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the CNBC app. application. We'll let Exchange is back after this. Good morning. Stocks set to rise at the opening bell as Wall Street goes for two green arrows in a row. Washington watch as President Biden meets with a group of GOP senators. Congressional Democrats take the first steps towards passing a COVID relief bill without Republicans. And it's a winter wonderland. The East Coast digging out from that morning snow and the worst snowstorm to hit the record in the I-95 corridor in years. It's February 2nd. That means it's Groundhog Day. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. It's February 2nd after all. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan this morning. And here's how your money and investments are looking as we are halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. Stock futures pointed the gains at the opening bell. The Dow implied higher by roughly 230 points. The S&P by about 30 points and the Nasdaq 100 up by about 117. Now, this after stocks kicked off the new trading week and month on a very, very strong note, shaking off some of the concerns surrounding speculative retail based trading The Dow climbing more than 200 points while the S&P and Nasdaq were up respectively one and a half and two and a half percent. Let's now also take a look at shares of GameStop. Right now, those shares are down about 24 percent in the after hours trade. You can see one hundred and seventy three dollars the last trade there. This after the stock lost nearly a third of its value yesterday in a sign that some traders may be starting to cover some of those bets, taking some profits in those big gains that we've seen. We also want to check on shares of Virgin Galactic, ticker SPCE. You can see they're up 13% pre-market, $60.70 the last trade there. This on top of a more than 21% gain yesterday after the company announced it will redo its aborted December flight test as early as next weekend. So a lot of positivity around at least Virgin Galactic at this stage in the pre-market. Making headlines this morning as well, former Boeing CEO Dennis Muhlenberg is looking to raise more than $200 million for a SPAC, a special purpose acquisition company, a blank check firm. This according to the SEC in a filing yesterday. The SPAC plans to target companies in the industries of space, defense and communications and advanced air mobility and logistics as well. So a new SPAC possibly coming there. Exxon is creating a new low-carbon solutions business. It will invest $3 billion through 2025 on lower-emission energy technologies. The news comes, of course, as the oil giant faces pressure from activists to improve its sustainability-type investments. ExxonMobil shares up 1.5% in the pre-market trade. And Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic says the U.S. economy could recover more quickly than expected, and that could lead to interest rate hikes as soon as mid-2022. Speaking on CNBC's closing bell just yesterday. I'm not really that concerned about overheating. I think it's important to remember we've got we're at a large deficit in terms of jobs relative to where we were before. So if you think about, you know, our our mandate of, of, of full employment,
10: uh, and, and price uh, stability, the full employment numbers, we got a long way to go. Uh, and so if the economy runs a little hotter, I think that's
2: useful uh, to try to fill up that hole. All right. Bostic is a voting member of the Fed's open market committee this year. Most Fed officials don't expect to see rate hikes through 2023. Now to Washington, D.C. and the debate over another COVID relief bill. Elon Moy joins us now with the latest there. Ilan, what exactly is the current state of play? The Republicans meeting with President Biden. Did they get any progress on the deal done?
7: Well, Tom, that's right. President Biden met with that group of moderate Republican senators at the White House yesterday for about two hours. There were no major breakthroughs, but both sides did describe the discussions as productive. Biden even joked that he felt like he was back in the Senate as he negotiated with his former colleagues like Susan Collins of Maine.
5: It was an excellent meeting and we're very appreciative that as his first official meeting in the Oval Office, uh, the president chose to spend so much time with us in a frank and very useful discussion.
7: But today, lawmakers are turning their attention to the partisan process of reconciliation. The House and the Senate will vote today on a budget resolution. That is the first step to getting a bill passed without Republican support. And it would set the price tag for the new COVID relief package at $1.9 trillion. This process is tricky, though, and the rules could still prevent major portions of Biden's plan from ever passing especially that $15-an-hour minimum wage. Now, technically, Democrats can only include spending and revenue items in a reconciliation bill. But Senator Bernie Sanders and other progressives plan to argue that raising wages can actually reduce the deficit because fewer workers would rely on the federal social safety net. A new study out today found that a $15-an-hour minimum wage could actually lower government spending by between $13 and $31 billion annually. Saddam, these kinds of wonky debates are one of the drawbacks to using that reconciliation process. That's why President Biden's first choice is a bipartisan package. But even after what happened yesterday, it is not clear he's going to get one. Back to you.
2: Now, there is obviously a a time frame that you you kind of alluded to and and whatnot. What exactly then... Is the likelihood that we could get that kind of a bipartisan deal done rather than going through the budget reconciliation or, or kind of that process overall? Is there something that can be done? Is there, are there major one or maybe one or two sticking points that could maybe get this thing done on a bipartisan basis?
7: so what biden has said and he's no stranger obviously to the senate after serving there for 36 years is that you know with these bipartisan packages, you often don't know a deal is going to get done until the very final days of those negotiations so sort of everything comes together at once and susan collins from maine did indicate that there is some wiggle room in their 618 billion dollar plan as well especially around those direct checks she signaled that she might be willing to accept a higher number for direct payments if the overall cap and eligibility thresholds were lowered, so maybe that's one area where they can find some common ground and some compromise. Uh, But Democrats are not waiting around, and that's why they are moving forward with that reconciliation process. They see a deadline of March 14th, when some of the enhanced unemployment benefits expire, as the real deadline for them to get something done, whether it's through reconciliation and on their own or whether it's along with Republicans.
2: All right. Elon Moy with the latest there on that process for COVID relief. Thank you very much for that. Now back to our corporate news. Amazon and Alphabet, the parent company of Google, among the names to watch today. Both tech giants are set to post their quarterly results after the closing bell. Joining us now with what to expect. CNBC contributor and big technology founder Alex Kantrowitz. Also Gibbs Wealth Management President and Chief, uh, Chief Investment Officer Aaron Gibbs. Thank you both very much for being here. Aaron, we'll start with you. How important are these earnings results to the overall market narrative?
6: Uh, so they're extremely important to the market. I mean, these are some of the two largest companies within the mega cap world. Uh, they're also just bellwethers for for mega cap tech, uh, and and both cover very uh, well somewhat different businesses that do have overlaps. Um, and so we're really going to see how. Uh, Amazon, which is more focused on cloud service, and Google, which is more focused on ad ad searching revenues, how those are going to play out for both the fourth quarter and also a course, very importantly, looking at how we're expected to recover in 2021. Um, so we know they've both benefited extremely well um, from the pandemic, and then we know that they're going to be reporting record numbers, um, but it's all about how they're going to be able to continue this momentum going into 2020.
2: Both, uh, Alex, both of these these stocks are within the top five in terms of weightings in the S&P 500. So we know how important they are, as Aaron just pointed out. Are we expecting positivity in news coming out of them? And then are investors going to react positively to that positivity if it does happen?
3: Yeah, I think you're right. The economy is definitely run by the tech giants. And these are two really big, important ones, Google and Amazon. Uh, I think we are going to see some positive news. Guidance definitely uh, has led us to believe that Amazon is going to post its first $100 billion quarter. Uh, I think that's massive. That's a, f- a flag-planting quarter within which Amazon is going to tell us, look, we've changed consumer behavior. Typically, people would go out to the mall or to stores during holiday shopping, and now they've decided that they can use Amazon as a basically a serviceable alternative. Uh, and that's huge because that's not just this year. That's going to carry over next year. Even if we're back into normal times, people are going to be like, "Well, I could go on Amazon again," uh, and that's going to stick with the company. So I think we can see uh, we can expect positive news for both of these companies in terms of how investors will will react. I mean, who kn- who knows these days, uh, given the irrationality in the market right now? And I mean, we just saw what happened with GameStop last week, and uh, you know, a little tick here or there might send them scrambling. But the early signs right now are. Uh, that, that um, the stocks are going to go up. Uh, this looks like what's happening with the pre-market and the futures. Uh, so I, I expect uh, a good reaction from, from investors.
2: Alex, if I, if I could follow up here. I mean, you follow some of these companies so closely. What, what's the most important thing that each of these companies, Alphabet and Amazon, can say in their reports that will get that positivity even more fuel?
3: I think Amazon can give us clarity in terms of what it's spending on infrastructure. You know, Amazon is light years ahead of the rest of the competition when it comes to processing online orders and fulfilling them. And it's been spending on infrastructure. It's been spending on people. It's been spending on planes. And, uh, you know, investors typically don't like the fact that expenses are going up. But this could put it even further ahead of of the competition. So I want to hear a little bit more about what's going on there. Uh, In terms of Google, obviously, the big question is where does it go with cloud revenue? Uh, The search business has been predictable and moving forward uh, over years, but um, Google does have an opportunity to take a bite out of Amazon and Microsoft's leading cloud services, especially now during the pandemic. where We're all moving uh, to to, uh, cloud hosted software. Uh, And so, you know, Google is way behind. um, But if it shows a bit of an uptick, then that will be a really positive sign. For its business.
2: Aaron, I, I, I want you to kind of weave all of this together right now because th- there's certainly a, a, a positivity in technology. It was the trade that worked in 2020 amid the pandemic. It, it's starting to show signs of life again. People kind of maybe getting a little bit out of the value oriented trade back into big technology. Is that a theme that you see playing out in 2021 as well? Will it just be a redux in 2021 of what happened for big technology in 2020? We know how good of a year it was for a lot of those names.
6: Yeah, so I actually see this as potentially investors continuing to take this more risk on trade, looking at these smaller cap stocks. I really see a lot of the. You know, infatuation that we had with mega caps in 2020, and it's been waiting for over five months. Um, and January didn't see uh, any turnaround. And the, uh, Google's the exception that Google has been outperforming the, the large cap indices, but Amazon's been trading sideways for five months. And I think they're very vulnerable to any type of disappointment in the report this evening. Investors are really looking for any type of disappointment, whether it's it's top line, bottom line, AWS services. Uh, increasing expenses, anything could send that stock down, I think. And they're really the trash issues around these mega caps are starting to make investors lose that that love that they had in in 2020. And they're looking a little farther down the the spectrum and looking for higher beta and risk trades. Um, So I think these reports are, are important. I think certainly Amazon needs to blow the numbers away more so than Google. There's definitely, Google's been still one of the stocks that investors have, have been loving, despite Wall Street loving them. I mean, the consensus recommendations are, are they're, they're some of the top you know buy recommendations out there. Um, but I, I think that we are gonna see a change as we go into to 2021. Also, just because small caps are expected to massively outperform, they're expected to benefit more from the economic recovery. And investors could be looking outside of of these mega caps that we've been so focused on for the past two years.
2: All right, Alex, just a few moments left here. What's your favorite technology story, technology company
3: going into this next few months? For me, it has to be Amazon. And I can't emphasize this enough. Uh, The behavior shift that we've seen from people moving from brick and mortar to moving online over the past year, and how much of that has been captured by Amazon uh, is extraordinary. And with each move, Amazon enhances its automation systems. You know, We don't see this on the outside, but inside a company like Amazon, when order flow comes in, it makes its machine learning systems even stronger. And that helps it automate not only you know, the robots that we see in the fulfillment centers, but the way that it orders products and even negotiates with vendors. That's all done through machine learning. All right. And I think that this is this is a behavior-based behavior-building year where where people where consumers will buy and then Amazon systems will get stronger on the back end and that's why I think it's the big story uh, this year. All right, Alex Kantrowitz, Aaron
2: Gibbs, thank you guys both very much for coming on and sharing your thoughts with us. We appreciate it. Coming up on the show, a major winter storm blasting in the northeast over the last 36 hours and more snow. Yeah, more snow is still set to fall in some places. We've got a live report from NBC meteorologist Bill Cairns coming up next. But first, as we head out to break some of your other top headlines this morning, Google, speaking of, will pay two and a half million dollars to underpaid female engineers and overlooked Asian applicants as part of a settlement with the Labor Department. Robinhood is reportedly talking about banks with banks about raising a billion dollars in debt financing so it can keep fulfilling trades. This is separate from the $3.4 billion it financed in terms of securing that number from investors since last Friday. And Chinese electric car maker NEO delivering 7,200 vehicles in January. That's more than four times the number of cars it delivered the same time last year. Stay tuned. We'll Exchange is back after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange, a live shot of New York City in Manhattan there. You can see the streets are somewhat clear given the amount of snow that we've seen over the last 36 hours. Well, the Northeast is set to begin that dig out after the massive winter storm buried the region in upwards of two feet of snow in some parts. NBC News meteorologist Bill Cairns joins us now with the very latest on this storm. And Bill, is the end in sight?
1: Uh, It is. uh, You know, maybe a couple inches left in areas that got hit the hardest. Northern New England still has a little more to go. But I mean, these totals were just like, you know, we said yesterday it could be a big storm, possibly maybe a foot and a half, two feet in some areas. We did even more than that in a few spots. Mendham, New Jersey, it's about an hour outside of New York City. 30 inches of snow. And the highest totals in Pennsylvania were about 28. Southern New York had 22 inches. Danbury, Connecticut even had 19. And we're going to wait to see that we get some of these higher totals in Massachusetts and Vermont as we get those reports in. That's where the snow was overnight. We'll get those reports in early today. As far as New York City went, 16.8 inches officially in Central Park. That makes it the 16th largest snowstorm ever in New York City history. If we get just another two inches, we can get into the top ten, but I'm not sure we're going to get there. Hartford almost a foot of snow. Philly ended up with about a half a foot. It was too warm in Boston, and we're still going to get a couple more inches in Albany. We'll get that final total later on today. So here's how it looks on the big map. Temperatures are cold, too, for that cleanup. A lot of spots in the 20s, big cities in the low 30s, and the blue on that map still shows you where we have light snow. Even down around Washington D.C. a little bit. The heavy stuff, though, is really going to be focused in northern New England and our friends up in Maine in Vermont, everyone else just like another inch or so. So the rest of the forecast for today, pretty cold day in the Great Lakes, all the way down through the southeast, kind of windy. Middle of the country's fine. And, Dominic, here's the next story. Over the next seven days, we have more snow to come. Areas of purple could see additional heavy snow. Great Lakes, I'm watching you Thursday into Friday. And for the northeast, possibility of another coastal storm, maybe even a nor'easter-type storm, Super Bowl Sunday evening. Into Monday, so we'll we have five, six days to you know get that forecast fine tuned for you, Dominic. But uh, you know keep that one on your radar.
2: Just, just out of curiosity, how big of a deal? Could, I mean, I, I know it's early, and the models are still kind of working their way through the numbers and everything else. But h- how big of a storm could this be coming up on Super Bowl weekend? Is it going to be something like what we just saw, or something maybe a little less? Hopefully, a little less. This
1: one wouldn't be a coast-to-coast like the last one. If this one does happen, as the European model is saying it, it would be a storm that mostly focuses just on New England. Uh, The storm performs kind of late, and it would be late Sunday into Monday. So it really wouldn't affect much of the weekend, but it could be
2: big impacts as we start the next work week. All right, Bill Cairns with the latest there on this storm and the next one coming up. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Well, still on deck, stocks looking to build on yesterday's momentum with futures pointing towards a solidly higher open. As you can see there, Citi's Stephen Whiting is standing by with the moves you need to make in the trading day and weeks ahead. And if you have not already, subscribe to our new podcast, Worldwide Exchange, every day in audio format. If you miss us here on air, check us out on Apple or Spotify or other podcast apps. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back. The volatility from a few stocks is spilling over into the broader market, but traditional investors may not have to be worried about the repositioning based on this recent movement. Joining us now is Stephen Whiting. You know him, he's the chief global investment strategist at Citi Private Bank. Stephen, thank you very much for always lending your thoughts here this morning. Are you worried at all about what's happening with these types of stocks? Well,
10: look, I would be. Considerably worried if you were going to use this as your core investment strategy, and you end up trading with a small group of investors after institutional investors have just said enough and stayed away. That that is a concern. Uh, you know the main issue, though. I think if you take a look back, could take a look at what happened with Hertz in 2020. You could take a look at what happened to Volkswagen in 2008, um, or even the the silver squeeze of 1980. Um, you saw a surge. People thought uh, they could buy it, they could jump in, and these prices crashed. And you still can't say how high is high. If you were to take a look at these uh, asset prices during the the thick of it, they went up and up. They would double, and then they would crash. And this is just simply not fundamental investing. And that's where people are going to get into problems. Uh, And so we're looking for this uh, as possibly a distortion to the markets. We saw it last year already. Uh, in the case that I mentioned. And there has been some liquidation of good liquid assets uh, by those who have been distressed by all of this. Of course, naked short selling uh, comes with these uh, infinite risks. And they always talk about that theoretically. Uh, But in the end, let's look at the big picture. We have a pandemic that we believe will end. We have easy monetary policy for years to come. And a huge share of the world economy is sidelined. There've been 10 million job losses in the United States. There's no reason that we can't get those back uh, over the next year or two. There's been a lot of that's the opportunity,
2: Stephen. There's been a lot of a lot made about the retail investor versus Wall Street, the institutional investors, the establishment, the hedge funds out there. When you look at the the two stories that have developed, it's about getting rich quickly and then getting rich slowly. You work for a private bank. Many of your clients are wealthy, possibly from the establishment. Is there anything that you, that you can read about the, the changing dynamic or paradigm about investing? Do you feel as though most people want to chase those types of stocks? Or is investing for the long term still something that the, the wealthy in America aspire to do?
10: All I can say uh, is that technological change, invention, uh, creating new goods and services that we never had before. It's how we create real wealth. That the things that we have in our core portfolios you know, are the factors of production that make the things that we need, not money, not uh, quick gains in asset prices, uh, not these sorts of things that are flated away by central banks, but the real things, the units that are demanded of goods and services in the economy. And that's how our clients generated their original wealth, And I think they mostly know that they're going to be able to add to that wealth slowly by being an investor for the long term.
2: What parts of the market are the most attractive to you and and by proxy, perhaps your clients out there? Where are you getting the most interest? We've heard a lot about things like 5G wireless technology, artificial intelligence, sustainable investing, green technologies. What's caught the attention of your investors?
10: So these themes are multi-year trends. If you think about hyperconnectivity. What's happening in Asia, where 5G rollout is going to be much faster uh, and larger than it is immediately in the West. These are opportunities. Think about greening the world, how solar uh, power is generating uh, a kilowatt of electricity at the cheapest rate, better than fossil fuels around the world. These are long-term opportunities. But the other thing to think about here um, is that there have been some quick gains in cyclical assets. You know, you wanted to to see what, what we're doing. Uh, We uh, invested in small-cap U.S. stocks as an overweight in April of last year, up 80 percent. These shares have gained 30 percent since the end of 2019. Now, they can probably still have a very good year, but these are recovery plays. There are really strong parts of the world that still have to catch up around emerging markets. And also, if you think about it, high-quality opportunities have been left behind. Healthcare stocks trade at Uh, the lowest uh, relative valuation, one of the lowest relative valuations in history, uh, and can generate probably that same return with lower volatility and have a long-term demographic tailwind behind them. So we've made some changes already. Again, quite optimistic about the path of the economy. The markets in some places have already uh, enjoyed that and played out that forward-looking view. So we're making adjustments, again, to take advantage of those thematic opportunities, like you said.
2: All right. Stephen Whiting with the latest there on his investment research and everything else. Thank you very much for that. We appreciate it, Stephen. Have a nice day, sir. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next.
1: You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses,